Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. I tell my brother that introduction was just unnecessary. Amen. Now, I love my brother. We are best friends, and we text, I guess, about daily, talk two or three times a week, phone conversation, try to get together as often as we can, being a two hours, two and a half hour distance apart from each other. It's hard to do that with kids and ball and sports and all that, but I'm telling you, he knocked it out of the park last week at my pastor appreciation, and I really enjoyed the word that he brought. It was an honor that he would take time, actually, out of his busy schedule with a I mean, all this awesome stuff going on here at Bethesda, building a, a new building and just all the people coming and attending. I just know what it's like to be busy as a pastor. When I think I'm busy, I just think about what he's doing. So I really appreciate him. And it's an honor of mine to sit here and bring the Word of God to you today. And I'm, I'm just excited about that. And if you uh, want to turn with me today, go John 10.10. 10. Uh, I want to talk to you for a moment today about more abundant living. Now, this was a series I'd done in August. God really began to speak to me in July, and I know I'm getting ready to use a scripture and read it to you, um, out John 10 and 10. And, and this is a scripture we've heard so many times, but God really began to show me something with this scripture, that Satan actually has a tactic, or he always is just sneaky and has a subtle plan to take away the more abundant living that God's called us to. So let's just dive in this today. John 10, 10, it says, The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And as I stated, we've done this three-part series, and I took three words out of this, and I, I preached each week. I preached one week on stealing, one week on killing, and another week on destroying. Now, I'm not going to pack this all into one uh, message today. I'm just going to preach to you about killing and how that Satan wants to kill the more abundant life that God has planned for you. And when we look at this word today, the thief, now, this is a very important word when it comes to the abundant living in Christ because the thief really wants to take that away. And this word thief actually means an embezzler, robber, false teacher who does not care to instruct men but to abuse their confidence for their own game. And we see that Satan and his minions, they are trying to embezzle. They are trying to take away. They are trying to get us to, I guess you can say, compromise the more abundant life that God has placed for us. How many of you know that God on this earth has a life for us that we are to live that is very abundant for you and I? I know we're going to heaven and we have eternity and we're laying up treasures above and there's blessing and favor when we get to heaven. But then also, we don't have to wait to, he to get to heaven to experience everything that heaven has. That the Bible tells us that we can have an abundant life and experience heaven here on earth. And we see the true spirit of Satan as the embezzle. And, and we're focused on this one word today, kill, as far as the tactic of the enemy. And this word kill actually means to slay 
or to sacrifice. Now, this thief Satan desires to slay or slaughter us one way or another. Now, I know immediately when we think about killing, we're talking about taking a life of the innocent, right? An innocent life in the flesh. And really, that's not what we're stating today. I, I know that's a sin, and I know that's not of God. But I want us to look at really our spiritual lives and what God has placed for you and I on this earth. So Satan's plan is to get you to be a person or to buy into his character to be able to kill maybe someone else's character or to discredit someone. Have you ever been in a room before and you're like, oh man, I can't believe they said all of that because now people's going to have a different thought of that person than what they previously had. And that happens many times without us even knowing that we may say something that we shouldn't be saying and we're literally killing somebody according to the scripture with just the words that we're speaking from our mouth. And the first thing I want to talk to you about today is Satan's plan to make you a murderer. You're like, oh, Pastor Chad brings his brother up in here. He's calling us murderers and, and, and all this. And we know Exodus 20 says God has given us, you know, these top 10 to 10 commandments. And he said, you shall not murder. And as taking this thought, I, I like to look at past stories and stuff that I've read, and I love to read about the life of Billy Graham, America's pastor, many presidents, pastors, and many times invited him to the White House. And this guy was always on the road doing crusades and packing out stadiums. And his wife, one day this guy wanted to interview his wife and said, Miss Graham, your husband's gone a lot. I mean, weeks sometimes he's gone, other countries. and, and some, I mean, just out of the year, it's like he's gone over half the year. And you have all these kids here to raise. Did you all ever talk about divorce? She said, no, not divorce. Murder maybe, but never divorce. And, and I just let you know, guys, sometimes you got to be home or mama's going to kill you, right? But the Bible is very plain about the sin of murder. I mean, very plain about the words of our mouth, how it goes against the perfect will of God. And I'm not going to spend time today on the killing of the flesh, for we know that's wrong, but I want to take some things of the spiritual. And the first word I want to bring to your attention today about Satan's plan to make you a murderer is the word hate. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the more abundant life of Christ. And these things rob us from living a more abundant life on the earth, it says in 1 John 3, 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now this word hate actually means to pursue with hatred. It is to detest someone with a pursuit to persecute them. The word brother here is speaking of a family, figuratively or literal family, or actually a church family or your literal family, Right? So it's letting us know that whoever hates his brother, that you are a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So we are not to hate our brother, right? Whether it's the literal or figurative or church family. I mean, first of all, John is writing to churches surrounding the area of Ephesus. So as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, we know the Word of God is the inspired Word of God, the God's breath that inspired by the Holy Spirit that men begin to write God's Word as the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so. And we can see that the church was dealing with some issues. That people within the church were hating one another. That in their heart they was murdering one another. 
In fact, not only do we see this in the church even of the day, but we see this in the family setting of the home. But look, look at it this way. Whoever pursues with hatred to persecute his own family member or a church family or another Christian is committing murder. And as we're looking at this, we do this many times with the thought. It begins with the thought, and we allow this seed to begin to resonate in us. And next thing you know, it's no longer just a thought because we can just cast thoughts out. We, we all have... How many of you ever have a bad thought? How many has had a bad thought this past week? Amen. Bless God. And you bind that thing. And you say, get out of here. I'm not going to set it. But sometimes we'll set on that thought. And before you know it, we have maybe the actions of murder in our heart because of the hate that we're beginning to develop. And first, by the way, you guys were just real just now. You give, your hand, give yourself a hand for that. Last service, I told him, I said, you all was acting angelic like you floated in here and going to float back out. And I said, my God. But first of all, it's not okay to feel hate towards someone. It's not an okay feeling. In fact, you know, I've been here before. And when I've been here, it's one of those things you're like, you feel the shame of feeling this thing. Like, I don't even want to feel this way. Not only having bad feelings in our hearts, but next thing you know, once we set it in our heart, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, words begin to come out. And it's not that we're shedding the blood of the innocent with our physical hands, but in our heart, we have words that we're saying from our heart that we shouldn't be saying at all is derived by just the word hate. And John had these strong language to give to them. He said, listen, if you have such hate towards your brother, whether it's in the church or in your family, that you are a murderer and eternal life's not abiding in you. Wow. Now that's strong language. The question you must ask, who really is being held hostage when you have this type of hate? I mean, in our mind, I've been there. Man, if I see them, now let's be real. If I see them, I tell you what, I'll, I'll just knock them out. <laughs> right? Bless God, they come around here, I'll just throw water in their face or something, right? I mean, we're thinking and we're scheming and we're planning. But who's really held hostage here is not them because they might, even, they might not even know how you feel about them. Who's held hostage is you. You're the one hurting. You're the one bound. You're the one sitting there needing to be free from this thing called hate. And usually the reason why we feel this way is because they have let us down. Someone has let us down. Sometimes they let us down and don't even know it. Sometimes they hurt us and don't even know it. You know what really gets me is not, you know, someone letting me down or someone hurting me. You can hurt me, but, man, you mess with someone I really love, right? Listen, mama's a lamb until you mess with one of her children, and she's a lion. See, those women, yeah, yeah, those women got with me right there. Like, hallelujah, he's preaching now. I should have put ten more dollars in the offering. I didn't know I was getting that today. So we have all this, but we have these real issues that's going on. And a lot of times, it's insecurity. We're sitting there thinking of things that no one's done, but we're saying that they did in our mind. We develop an image. It's not even happened. 90% of the time, the things that we dwell on never did happen. So we have to remember hate is a characteristic of Satan. And when we buy into hating someone, then we are taking on his character. Satan is a thief. He has come to kill. He's come to kill the more abundant life that God's calls you to. So not only do we have hate, but we have revenge. 
Have you ever said this before? Let's see how spiritual and holy you are today. I'll get them back if it's the last thing that I do. I'm guilty. Once we take revenge, we are falling into the trap that Satan desires us to out of my personal curiosity. I don't know if, I mean, we're just being real today. We're just putting it out there. Have you ever went to the Google to ask a question? I did for this message. I had to ask, you know, relevant ways in today's modern age how to take revenge, right? Well, one of the first one was is that you public humiliate somebody, right? You put their dirty laundry out there for everybody on social media. It's one. I mean, have you ever been scrolling before? You're like, oh, my God. I don't want to be caught up. I don't want to know, right? <laughs> oh, another one is you put their email on every spam list. Yeah, I know it's kind of petty. Most of them were. This is one of my favorite ones. Guys, I'm going to give you one, okay? This is how you get revenge on your wife. Hopefully my wife's not watching this morning. You tighten every jar in the refrigerator she makes you mad where she can't open them. Now, if I'd done this to my wife, for real, she'd have them all sitting out on the counter when I get home, and she'd be like, dingus, you know what you did. <laughs> right? I mean, my wife's tough, man. Whew. So there you go. But we find that and there's different things. And some of the other ones were like signing up someone for horrible magazine subscriptions. Another one, uh, photobombing someone in spite. I know, I don't think I've ever done that in spite. I've done it on purpose, but not in spite. I've done it to people I don't know. You know, you get crazy when you're out of town and, and you might just get in a picture you don't mean to be. You all's never done that, all right? I know. But it's one of those things uh, as well. I had one guy sign me up for every crazy preacher on television for his mail out. <laughs> he done it for fun. It wasn't out of spite. He just told me. He told me he'd done it. I was like, listen, did you sign me up? Because the only person I know would do it. Yeah, I done it. I thought it was hilarious. I had green money cloth guys sending me stuff. No evil oil guys sending me stuff. I'm, they may be good guys, but I'm like, man, this is weird. But the reason for most people's revenge is, is that they want to get even, right? They, retaliation. They want to bring injury, loss, or harm. In fact, it's an attempt to transform shame. They, they take pride in, man, I've shamed them. I, did you see how I shamed them? And seek an equal injury to them. I mean, they want to do someone as wrong as they've been done to bring just as much harm to them that was done to them. And sometimes even more revenge is about getting even and causing problems for someone for what they did to you. But revenge can be also very passive. You know, the scariest people to be around is when they can smile at you, tell you off and rip you a new one, as I call it. And you don't even know it until you walk away. You're like, man, if I knew that, and if I, it didn't set in until I walked away. As a God, I say that's a God thing, right? It's a God thing. But that's the way it is. And then there's times you do see that, but you try to take the higher road and say, you know, I'm not going to buy into this. I'm not going to let this thing begin to seep into my spirit. But the Bible talks about this revenge in Romans 12, 19 through 21. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. 
For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So we see revenge is to vindicate, to retaliate, to punish. And the whole time the thief is trying to get you to retaliate and to punish someone for what they've done to us. He's trying to get you to buy into that and to forfeit this more abundant the living that we're going to talk about here in a moment. But Paul's writing to the church of Rome and he reminds us that God will take revenge. That in fact, when we're taking revenge, we're doing God's job. Don't take God's job. Hey, do you want to bring revenge or do you want God to bring revenge? Now, I don't say that in an evil way or mean way, but however God gets it done, he may deal with him, then come to an altar of repentance. However it may be, God will deal with him. Before there was everything called karma, there's a thing called sowing and reaping. It all came from God. So, And the Bible also lets us know that to take a revenge is a way to hurt or kill someone's character or honor, as we can see, without even the influence of shedding of blood. But Jesus said to repay no evil for evil. We are to love our enemies and treat them, right? That we need to treat them good, even though they treated us badly. That's what he said. But Jesus also said that whenever possible, live peacefully with all men. Try to be a peace. Seeker, I, listen, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. I like to see peace. I mean, I'm not a guy who's just wanting to throw down. I'm not that guy. But if it's possible, we need to find peace with all men. In every situation, we need to be trying to find peace. You know, some people look for a way to retaliate in every situation, to bring revenge, because they're carrying something around from a long time ago. So everybody else is paying the price for the thing that they're carrying. That was free this morning. You didn't have to put anything in the offering for that. But do not seek revenge for yourself. The one who trusts in God will not think it necessary to bring revenge because we're saying vengeance is God's. It's not mine. It's not my job to do that. God is looking for us to overcome evil by doing good. He says if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And let's just put it in today's terms. You work with them, they're mean. Had a guy come talk to me this week. And has worked the same place for five years. He was hurting. But I never, this guy's called me twice. And I've been his pastor for seven and a half years. He called me and said, I hope you're available Friday. I said, man, I, I know you're off on Thursday and Friday. What about the first thing tomorrow morning? Because I knew it was important if he's called me. I said, I want to talk to this guy. Something is up. So I, I said, let's just meet tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes get there and a man is crushed just because of the way he's been treated on the job. We talked about that. This message was just coming to my mind as we was just discussing it, but it's real things. We have real things happen on the job. People trying to hurt us. People trying to harm us. And we got to find out and figure out how to take the higher road. And they're doing good. Hey, listen, the only thing you can say about them is you like their shoes and say it. I'm not saying you need to have pizza and wings with them from the first Thursday night game of the NFL coming this coming week, Right? Bless God, they're not running my NFL night. It's opening season. Bless God, amen. I got, I got, got one good light one right there. I like that. For real, though, we need to find something for them that we can say nice to overcome evil by doing good. See, Paul says something to some, here for us to do. He said, listen, we need to do something good for them, and when we do, it brings heaping coals of fire on their heads. Now, I've been raised in church all my life. I mean, it's all... Me and my brothers ever known was church. I mean, we didn't ask to take a Sunday off. We just went to church. I mean, it's just, it was just known. Sunday is here, we're going. 
And, and I, could, I can remember people saying, bless God, you do them good. It'll put coals of fire on their head, right? Y'all ever heard that, right? Well, really, when you begin to look at the context of that, it's even deeper than that. You know, some people, they'll just become really mad and angry. But really, the context of this is that the Bible lets us know that the heaping coals of fire on the head refers to a burning conviction that our kindness places on our enemy. In other words, in the Greek, to make our enemies to think of their wrongs and to appreciate our kindness. So in other words, when they lay their head down at night, they're saying, why did they do me good? I've had a bad attitude towards them. I've done bad things. The Holy Spirit begins to work on them and deal with them. So when you begin to take the higher road and say, you know, I'm not going to revenge, then the Holy Spirit begins to work with them. And God begins to do his part. So here we have had hate. We've had revenge. Let's hit the last one under this. Satan's plan to make us a murder to do away with our more abundant living. And this is anger. Anger, in fact, is the beginning. Out of anger comes the hate and the revenge. It all starts with some anger. Anger can cause you to be vengeful. And in fact, anger bursts resentment and unforgiveness and being offended. And anger is the very thing that could cause such an uprising that you would have some evil in your life that would compromise the more abundant living that God's called you to. I want this more abundant life for myself. Satan's going to do all he can to embezzle and to thieve it, to take it away. But the Bible says in Matthew 5, says, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But now here we find Jesus connecting murder and anger. But he says, I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, first of all, how many of you have ever called someone an idiot without thinking, amen? Me again. Y'all's real. I love it. Have you ever been just driving? Someone's texting and driving. You know they're texting and driving. They about kill you. You're on the interstate. Very first thing out of my mouth is, idiot, help me, God. Praying for him, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, it's nothing personal. It's just the first thing that comes out. But Jesus said, if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. It doesn't mean anger. Anger is a sin. We know you can be angry and sin. Not Jesus turned over tables. It was a sin. But then we can allow this anger to turn into something more as the hate, as the resentment. You can be angry but never sin. But once this anger gets control of you, and begins to take root in you, and you begin to act in a way that you never act. Next thing you know, you're cussing someone, you're cursing them, you're calling them names, and you mean from your heart the names you're calling them. But what did Jesus did? Here in Matthew 5, he began to compare the act of murder with the sin of anger. The Pharisees would use evil words. They were so mad at Jesus. They was angry at him. They tried to discredit him. Not only him, but everybody else around him. Only they were righteous. And they was like, you know, but we've never murdered anybody. We've, we've not broke the Ten Commandments. And Jesus was like, you know what? This thing's a whole lot deeper than what you're trying to display on the external because all you're worried about is what's on the outside and what people perceive. But on the inside, you're a mess. He said, on the inside, you're murdering. On the inside, your anger is turned to resentment and offense. And you're being revengeful. How do you know your anger has become sinful? How do you know? Well, one of the first one is, is that you stew on it all the time. You're constantly just sitting in it. Another one is that you refuse to lay the matter down. I've literally had people tell me 
that they don't like somebody and they're still mad at them from 20 years ago because they didn't pay them back $5. I'm like, how petty, but we allow the enemy over something so small. Most of the time, it doesn't make a difference in your life now and you're buying into this characteristic that Satan would have you to buy into and it's forfeiting your more abundant life for Christ. See, your anger at times refuses to be pacified. Your anger is always causing you to think of ways to bring revenge. You're thinking of thoughts. Have you ever been driving down the road and for 20 minutes has went by, you've been thinking <laughs> your revenge? It's awful. You're like, man, you're preaching this good. You must have been there. I have been here for real. Two times in my life have I been deeply in this place towards someone else. Thank God God healed me. One time I was around 20, another time I was around 24, 25. Second time I was in full-time ministry. Never been wrong, done that way, hurt that way. Both times were by pastors. Right? I mean, church is made for healing and stuff. It shouldn't get hurt, but listen, hurts even happen in church. It happens. But I will tell you this, I can thank God for the hurts I've been through and him deliver me and forgiven me and helped me to have forgiveness in my life. And through that, I have become a better pastor because I don't want no one else to face and go through what I went through. But even in that, there's going to be hurts in the church and hurts in your family and hurts on the job. And there's going to come the time that you're going to have to make a decision. When anger comes, what are you going to do? The second thing today is God's plan to make you a loving person. God simply wants you to love people because he loves you. So let's read it again. It says, The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, this is powerful. I know when you look at this and, well, you know, the thieves come to take all your stuff and kill and destroy, but Christ come to give you life. So much more of this scripture. This is, that's just a surface. You begin to dig in this and it, it's very deep. He said that they might have. That phrase, they might have, is actually the Greek word echo. And he echoes it. He says it twice. He said that they might have and that they might have it more abundantly, right? So, in fact, Jesus is speaking here that they might have. And when he says that phrase, it literally means external things such as pertain to property, riches, furniture, utensils, or goods or food. Now, I'm not one of these that preach about having things in the earth all the time. I'm just not. I know that God wants us blessed there. But literally, he said that they might have literally means things in the earth. God wants you to have a blessed life in the earth. He wants you to have health emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. He wants every area of your life to be in balance and to be healthy. He wants your relationships to be healthy, your family to be healthy. He wants you to be blessed. But he said that they might have life. That word life is the Greek word zoe. That means the God kind of life. My heavens, I want that. He said we can have that we might have life, the Zoe, the God kind of man, that sounds great. A God kind of life on the earth. He's talking about the earth, a more abundant living. But then he said, he didn't stop there, he said more abundantly, which means beyond measure. He said that they might have the external things of life and things in the in the natural that affects them, whether it's relationships, emotions, things that's affecting your natural, your spirituality, all of it. That they might have, but not just have the God kind of life, but they have the God kind of life beyond measure. God wants an a, a unlimited life of abundance for you in the earth where everything's affected is healthy and good. So God desires us to live beyond measure. So more abundant living is just summed up by looking at the external things of life that is the God kind of life beyond measure. 
I want that. I need that in my life. I want to be healthy on every measure and every end in my life. God wants you to live in this more abundant life. And I believe Satan will cause you, though, the focus too much on where people have failed you, where people have hurt you, where they have hurt those that you love, and even cause you to imagine things about others that is not even a reality that they might have said or done. He wants you to be so angry that you become bitter, resentful, offended, that you live in hate, that you're always thinking of revenge. This will cause you to not take life with your physical hands, but it literally will cause you to take your more abundant living. It's not others that, or yourself that you're, or, or others that you're killing, but it's rather yourself that you're sacrificing and slaying the more abundant life. At the end of the day, when you're living like this, the only person that is hurting is you. If we're going to find love, then we've got to find forgiveness. That's where it starts. It says in Matthew 5, you drop on down, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus changes that. He said, but I say, do you love your enemies? Bless those who curse you, do good to those that hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How are we supposed to love someone that has done us wrong, that has done our kids wrong, that has done our family wrong, that has intentionally tried to hurt my job, that has let me down? When they made a promise, they let me down. How am I supposed to deal with that? It's simple. One word, forgiveness. Talking about taking the higher road. We're just talking, we're not talking about just a higher road in life. We're talking about a more abundant life, a God kind of life. Do you remember the story, Jacob and Esau? And we can see Jacob, we know, was this, what I would call the mama's boy. But Jacob's this big old man, hunter. He didn't want to mess with Esau. We know that Jacob was the manipulator. That he took away the blessing and the birthright, according to the book of Genesis. And he basically manipulated and installed. And it says in Genesis 27, 41, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. He said, listen, right now I'm not in the mood to kill my brother. But when I'm done mourning, my dad just died. When I'm done mourning and it's over, when I see Jacob, it's, I'm taking his life. He said it with his word. He hated him. He resented him. He felt let down. He felt betrayed. Many of us have felt let down and we felt betrayed. We're like, I've done nothing to deserve this. Satan's not worried about what you deserve. He's trying to take away the more abundant living. But then we find Jacob's gone for 20 years, and we know the story is that God's dealt with Jacob instantly, even when he left, that we see Jacob's ladder, and Jacob brings it up to God. God, one day I want to go back home. God said, I'm going to bring you back home. He said, God, I'll do what you want if you'll bring me back home one day. 20 years later, we find Genesis 32. He has a life-changing experience, wrestles with God all night long. No longer is he Jacob, but he's Israel. And he goes back to the land 20 years later, and he finds Esau. And the Bible lets us know in Genesis 33 and 1, Now Jacob lifted up his eyes, looked, and there was Esau coming. And with him were 400 men. 
if I had 400 men and my brother who hated me out there, I think I'd say, okay, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. Let him just go ahead and take me out here. I mean, it's over. Jacob's probably like, it's really just over for me. But here we find in verse 4 in Genesis 33 and 4, but Esau ran and met him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. How does Esau go from hating and wanting to kill Jacob to now embracing him and kissing him and not only that, but weeping on him? When you see weeping there, you can see that there's a release that this thing of hate and bitterness and being let down and offense and anger and wanting to take revenge, all of it is now being released because the whole time that God was working on Jacob's end, Jacob wanted to go back knowing he'd done wrong. God was working on Esau's end the whole time today that maybe God's been working on your end to bring you to a better place, to bring you to more abundant living. God has been working on that other end. Simple. How do we get there? It's simple as forgiveness. How do you come to a place for forgiveness? You've got to receive grace. You cannot forgive grace if you've not received grace. It's hard to give something that you've not received. God, sometimes we got to just come back to God and say, God, you know, I made a mess. If you have a problem giving forgiveness, then you have a problem receiving forgiveness. If you have a problem forgiving someone, then you have a problem receiving it. I've been around people before. They will, no matter how much you try to earn their trust back or forgiveness, they're not giving it because they have a hard time receiving it themselves, so they cannot give it. But people that forgive quickly have very easily received forgiveness in their life. May I tell you and remind you today that it was you and I that didn't deserve forgiveness. It was you and I that was stuck and hell-bent and on our way to a devil's hell. But yet Jesus on the cross took all of our anger, all of our revengeful spirit on us, all the hate, all the offense in our life. And on the cross, he bore our iniquity and our sin. And he rose from the grave on the third day, overcoming death, hell, and the grave, and giving us victory through the power of the cross and choosing to forget our sin, casting them as far as the east is from the west. Forgiveness, grace. If you don't freely receive, then you don't freely, uh, freely give. He said that freely you receive and freely you give. Forgiveness is simply one word, release. When God forgave you, he released you from the punishment of sin. Maybe today you need to release somebody. Maybe you need to release someone. You're like, well, well I just don't know. It yes, sometimes we have to release them. My two biggest hurts, if they'll go ahead and come to the music. My two biggest hurts I told you about earlier, one of them was so bad in my life. I'd done everything I could to overcome that one hurt. I mean, I'd done it all. I was preaching. I was behind pulpits every weekend. Trying to, I'm like, it was by God's grace I was ministering, but I did not want it. But every time their name would come up, my blood pressure would go up. I'm like, man, this isn't good. I'm like, God, help me. 
One night I go hear a friend of mine who I haven't seen in years to go preach. And he said, you need to forgive the man and the guy that really I was holding him forgiveness for didn't do anything to me. It's my family who he'd done something to. And he had no clue that I was mad at him, aggravated at him. But he said, you need to forgive the person that has hurt your dad. I began to weep. I said, yes. I had begged God. I had pleaded with God. Some of you, I believe, in this service have pleaded with the Lord. You might have even begged. But that day, that guy looked at me and didn't know nothing I was dealing with. I hadn't seen him in years. I hadn't had a personal conversation in probably seven or eight, ten years. Just knew he was in town. I said, man, I'll go, I'll go listen. He said, you need to say his name out loud tonight. I'm not telling you you need to do that. But, man, I said the guy's name out loud. I said, listen, I forgive you. I said their name, and I said, I forgive you. And right there, it was a release. It was like the moment with Esau when he fell on the neck of Jacob. And he began to weep, and he kissed him. Because a more abundant life, a family, is more important than having unforgiveness. It don't matter whether you go to church with them or you got to go home and look at them. Oh yeah, I said it. Some of you need to forgive your spouse, forgive your kid, forgive your parents. It's about to get real in this place today. Because the spirit of grace has been poured out just that worked in the life of Esau. God, I need this more abundant life. This Zoe life. The God kind of life that is beyond measure. Nothing is worth the compromise that Satan would try to get me to buy into. God loves you and he wants to pour his grace out upon you. Will you stand with me today? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I know there's some of you today is watching online. If you need to receive Christ, if you need to release hate and bitterness out of your life and to come into the more abundant life of Christ, then this is the time to do it. And you that's in the house today, I know that God is dealing with hearts. But the first thing I want to do is this, whether you're online or in this service, if you need Jesus to come into your life, and you need to receive forgiveness in your life. No one looking around. I'd just like for you at this moment to raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to receive forgiveness in my life. Just Would you raise your hand and hold it up for us today? Yes. Bless that hand. The other hand, you put it right back down. Thank you. God bless. Yes. Bless those hands that's going up today. Thank you. Yes. Bless those hands. Thankful, bless, yes, yes, yes. You can put that hand down. Thank you, bless. Just waiting just for a moment. So right now, I believe whether you're online or you're in this service that we're going to say the prayer together and ask for forgiveness together. And let me tell you, you're going to have a release. Just as Esau wept on Jacob, I believe God is going to bring a forgiveness and a grace to you that you want everybody you come in contact with. Yes, we got one online, one online salvation today. So at this moment, I want us 
church to pray together. I want you to pray with me. Come on, church. Let's help them pray. If you need to ask for forgiveness, we're all going to pray corporately. Here we go. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Today, I confess you as Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me and helping me to forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer with a, yeah, go ahead, rejoice. You said that prayer, will you boldly say yes? I prayed today. Will you raise your hand in the house say yes? It was me that received forgiveness. Thank you. God is so awesome. Appreciate the salvation in the house today and what God is doing. I know many hearts and souls were touched. But I want to ask our prayer team to come right now. If they had help us this morning as we get ready to pray. They're going to enter in this one more song. And as they go into this song and you need prayer, you might say, I just need wisdom how to deal with a situation. I've been wronged. I've been hurt. My family's been wrong. We've been let down. And it's like this thing's trying to enter my life, and I don't want to compromise the more abundant living of Christ. If that's you today, I, here in this moment, when they begin to sing, I want you to come. But if you need prayer for anything today, whether it's just physical health, whether it's finances, I want you to come and begin to pray with our prayer team today as they begin to sing. Come on, the altar is open. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.